Hi, I'm Elena. I'm Gaia. I'm Lena. And I'm Lauren, and we are going to be discussing chapters 12 to 24 of Dreamland Bernie. Um, the, so the first question that uh, we want to talk about is how does money walk over racism? Which basically means that how does, how does money overlook racism? So it's like if you have money, does like, do people not look at your race then? They only care about your money. Well, we can see examples of this where William's father uh, didn't mind their skin color, only that they had the money to pay him for the big troll. Yeah. I think you could see this with Rowan as well because she uses her status and privilege as a way to like get out of things. So when people know her know her name, you know, oh wait, she's rich, you know, maybe we shouldn't mess with her. Yeah. And also, this might not be chapters 12 to 24, but in the earlier chapters, we also talked about how uh, Rowan's father said that he could just say his name and she won't get in trouble, whereas she might have gotten it in trouble before and i want to bring this karana reminds me of the characterization as do you guys think rowan is living in a bubble as james pointed out um yes definitely because she gets more privilege um she may be african-american she has money and so she's able to get out of things um that other african-americans and we could kind of relate this it's a little bit parallel how as Rowan gets exposed more to the reality of the world, William also does because he, before he was in his own little bubble, conforming to uh, the stereotypes of African-American people and the ways of society. But after he meets, after he meets Joseph and Ruby, then he starts to get out of the bubble and learns more that they are human just like him. And then he also went to go, he like realized um, what he did wrong and he like started feeling guilty. So he went to go apologize to Addie um, and then like about Clarence and his death. Yeah. Uh, but do you, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Okay, sorry. Um, do you think that he apologized to Addie because he got out of his bubble or because he wants to win her back over? Because um, at least the conversation I think you're talking about, it didn't end well um, for him. I think because he did, um, like, he started getting out of his bubble because, like, um, I don't remember what page was on, but he said, like, he started feeling, like, guilty and um, he kept trying to apologize and then yeah I can't find it in the book but it was like um I felt guilt and stuff about Clarence also when he was when Addie was like you know it's okay it's my fault too it didn't really bring him a sense of relief it really just confused him as he said in his words he's like "Ah, yeah kind of confused about this you know you should be you have every right to be mad at me I agree yeah and um, <clears throat> and relating to that, do you think that Addie was in a way being selfish? And how do you think this relates to how we should be more mindful of others' consequences? 
because it wasn't only William as we thought. Um, I, I think it was selfish of her because she knew, like, that she's putting him at risk. Um, yeah. Um, I agree with you because I think she didn't really fully understand the consequences of doing that of what trouble that she would bring him to. Yeah, so in a way, Addie and William are very very alike in that they both did actions without thinking for Clarence's sake. And that kind of leads us to maybe Addie acted so mad towards William, not only because of what he did, but also because she was mad at herself that she could have let that happen. Because some of the words that she told him, like, you didn't even think what would happen to him. That could also be directed, she's saying it to herself, because she didn't even think to think for his sake. I agree with you. Uh, I want to bring it bring it back to Rowan and how she was like, um, so I'm reading this quote of her, and it's like, I tried to tell her that I wasn't as, na- as naive as she thought. I knew what the code words like thug, uppity, and urban really meant. And those aren't really like bad words. It just it, when she said that line, it really just showed how much of a bubble she really was living in. And that's why I kind of think that although there are many things not so great about social media, social media is a really good platform because before social media, I probably would not have known what was going on in the world and everything but after social media then people can get more awareness about what is actually going on so it has its own pros and cons to it yeah i agree with you but i also want to bring up that through social media also comes with the spread of false information and dehumanization slash slash implicit bias so i think we gotta be careful of what we see online as well do you think that anything has changed from like back then when everything would be blamed on an african-american person to now when things are fabricated by the media and made to seem worse do you think anything has changed in that time or do you think the sort of racial bias has sort of stayed and what what effect do you think that has on like people it's still happening like I, i i think it's still happening in this world today with fake news especially with people like the news news outlets exploit the struggles of african americans and they may also portray them in a bad light as well yeah i agree because we also talked about this before how although the obvious problems are gone there are more subtle ones now and propaganda. I still think that the media is portraying people in a bad light, like the Black Matters, Black Mi- Black Lives Matter movement, as they're portraying like, oh, all the peaceful, all the protesters are all violent and they're all looting. When in reality, only ninety-two percent, like I believe it was like around ninety-two percent, like the Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful. And only like eight percent of them were violent. However, the media only talks about the eight percent and not the full ninety-two other ninety-two percent. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys saw this post. There was a post that said that Dr. Martin Luther King also had a peaceful protest, 
for the most part, and they shot him too. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw something similar to that online as well. And does uh, I think it really brings to the question, like, do you need violence to solve these world problems, do you guys think? I think violence gets the attention of people. I'm not condoning it, but I think that um, violence makes people pay attention and makes people want to listen. Although, like, that might not be a good thing. But I think that saying, like, um something that's peaceful is less appealing to someone than saying like oh this is what happened it was violent you know what i'm saying yeah and here's the thing like you could be saying the world's greatest speech to someone but that person figuratively might not even hear you because they're being stubborn about their views and they're not allowing themselves to really understand what you're saying so violence um, kind of does force them to pay attention a little bit more. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think it's because violence gets the attention, but it doesn't solve the problem. I agree. Yeah. So, do you ever think that violence can solve any problem? Like, this might be a little bit off topic, but, like, in wars, do you think that wars are justified? Um... Most of the, uh, I'm not sure, because I'm not, I don't really know a lot about wars and stuff, uh, but I guess, like, technically, a war that America is in right now is, like, in the Middle Eastern, and I feel like the U.S. shouldn't really be there, because, like, they're always like, oh, yeah, we're fighting for freedom, but, like, what's my freedom doing in the Middle East, you know, so, they're just really just fighting for oil, and it makes me sad mm-hmm. from like a moral standpoint it's, oh sorry in, do you want to go no no oh, you can go you're, you're good you can go are you sure you go okay yeah from like a moral standpoint i do think that um fighting is wrong but from like a literal like completely unbiased standpoint i think that um a lot can change from war like a lot can come from that and like alone from something like Black Lives Matter, which only had like seven or eight percent of um, violent protests. I think alone from that, it got more media coverage, it more people talked about it. I think it did make more change. I think a lot more came from it because it was violent, although most of it wasn't. Most of it was peaceful. Most of it was good. You know? Yeah. And going back to the how does money walk over racism? Do you think that it kind of also applies to white superiority? Um, it depends to, like, what sort of degree. Because, like, like the KKK, they don't care if you have money or not. Like, they just care yeah. about your skin color. Like, if you're black, they're, they're not. They don't care how much money you have. They're, they're gonna hate you. Mm-hmm. But from a business standpoint... I think white supremacists who own, like, businesses, maybe they won't care, but, like, they'll probably be, like, looking over your back to see if, like, they steal anything. They'll always be watching. Be careful. Like, they're, like, really strict, as you could see in, um, in Dreamland Burning with William's dad. 
like he was really strict on Joseph payments. Like if he missed one, the deal was off. Yeah, and he kept all the money if even if he didn't um if he didn't pay the one like thing. Yeah, and it's not really fair because yeah. to his white customers, he doesn't really do that. Even if, like, they missed, like, one payment, he's like, ah, it's okay. Yeah. So, this leads into another question. Do you think that William's father was doing Joseph a favor by doing that, or if it was unfair? I don't, I th- I don't think it was fair for him to do that. To, like keep all his money if he doesn't like pay all of it yeah but at the same time that was the i guess you can also see from another standpoint that situationally joseph might not have been able to do that with any other i agree he was like store. it was he was lucky for even being able to talk um William's father into letting him have the Victrola. I honestly think that it's more of a bias thing than it is a money thing. Like, it didn't matter that if he had, like, a million dollars or he had only enough to pay for that one thing, it sort of mattered that he thought because he was black he was going to um, steal from him or not fully pay out. Yeah, do you see this, though, as well, we can also see this as giving Joseph a chance to prove himself, which doesn't happen a lot for African Americans in that time. Um, I kind of have to disagree because, I mean, why does he have to prove to white people that he's trustworthy? And, like, in the first place, he shouldn't have to prove them that he's a good person. Shouldn't judge them by their skin color. I don't think it was, an, like, an opportunity yeah. to prove himself. I think it was more... Um, he just wanted the money. I don't think that he was giving him an opportunity. I think it was just oh. like more of like he wants the money. Yeah, you know, just money. Yeah. Oh, so you mean like if he could pay it, then good. But he, if he couldn't pay it, then oh well, he gets the money. Yeah, I I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. Also, how do you feel about William's dad joining the KKK? Well, I mean. Yeah. yeah, I was I shocked, was and I was just like, oh. I don't think he joined it. I think it was just he was going to see what was going on with the thing. With the with the diamond thing. They went to go see what was happening with that. He went, yeah. Yeah, I hope he, he just went there to, like, see what's happening. I hope he doesn't, like, join in or else, uh, that would be sad. Yeah, because he also said he knew the kid, and he said that he was a good kid and he wouldn't do anything, but Vernon was like, um, like, you wouldn't know, like, at first they're nice and then they'll give you, like, an evil, like, look, like, that's, like, their nature. So, and then he was like, he asked him to come see his, whatever, his court thing. At first the dad said no, but then he went to just go see, so I don't think he joined yet. What do we think about Mm -hmm. finding out Cleet joined the, like, the clan thing. I expected it. I won't lie. I expected it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really. Really? Why so? I don't. I don't know. I because it didn't really seem like he would be that type of person for like a good like few pages. 
And I just thought it was weird. I guess you can also see this in real life. How, you know, William also talked about how while he and Cleet hung out a lot, yeah. they really had nothing in common. We feel like we should stay friends with them or not, which is what William was thinking. He didn't know if he like wanted to stay friends yeah. with him or not. Yeah. Because they were totally like going mm-hmm. in different paths in life. Like, um, I was gonna just show an example because um, Cleet, um, like from the beginning up till now, you can still like see that he doesn't like um African Americans and he still has like hatred towards them and he doesn't tried to look for the better in them while um William like grew out of his shell and um grew out of his like little bubble and started like realizing that oh not all blacks or like African Americans are bad people and he started growing fond of like Ruby what impact do you guys think that William's father accepting African Americans money had on William's character development. I think he started to see that they're all human. Like, that's just another yeah. person. Yeah. You, uh, you get an, another example of yeah. this is, like, when Ruby was about to hit by a car, and, like, William started yelling at her, and he was, like, for the, like, I I saw her, like, she was just a normal girl, like anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the William's father doing that was a huge turning point like it made him realize something big i think the turning point was meeting ruby yeah and yeah it was meeting ruby that's the huge turning point like ruby um had a really big impact on william like character development and perception Mm-hmm. Um, I was also wondering who who's the dead body? Who who's the dead body you guys think was found under the house? Okay, so or like the skeleton. I was going through the thing, but at first I thought it would be William because um when she said it, um when Geneva um looked at it, she said um the size of his right humerus bone and scalpula show he was right-handed. And he broke his left wrist when he was young, but it he healed up well. Um, I think um, it could have been William because he broke his wrist. But then she, after that, after a few chapters, she said um, that it could have been a, an African-American because of the skull. Um, and like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, she said it, she was, like, 99% sure, so, like, I think there's still, like, that 1% chance. Also, I tried doing, like, the that experiment before, where, like, you measure it, and, like, it's, like, a formula you plug it into to figure out, oh, what race it would be, like, what race you are, and to see how accurate it is. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it wasn't really accurate. I can't speak for all accounts, but I don't really trust it, because... It wasn't really accurate for me. It didn't guess my height correctly. Oh. Also that, like, there was also a gun with, like, Maybell etched in it and, like, this wallet. Where it said, like, the payment dates, like, the receipt that William made. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Mabel's gun, Mabel belong, was a gun that belonged to Vernon. So it could have, it's a little confusing on who it can be. The first? Oh, yeah, you could go. Yeah, and honestly. Okay. Honestly, I really liked how the author wrote this story with foreshadowing and how the new information discovered was what Rowan discovered in modern times. That was really cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool as well that like she didn't tell us who it was. It's just like we're finding it out. Yeah. The first scenario I thought it was like, oh, maybe like uh maybe like burn on fish shot shot Joseph Good Hope because like the gun but then I was realized wait a minute then if Joseph was dead why did Vernon bury his gun like I think he would keep that gun but then the bones was like oh yeah. 99% <laughs> sure it was African so that confused and also the aged was like between 18 to 24 and Joseph was 18 so yeah I mean the way that she structured the story it made it a little bit bittersweet with the foreshadowing a little bit like we still don't know who it was but knowing that it could have been Joseph makes it bittersweet and how uh, William's comments on the foreshadowing about Joseph and what's about to happen also makes it. I hope it's not him. I really hope it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How many minutes are we at? 36. Whoa. Oh, also relating to his character development, uh, there's a quote in chapter 14 that Lena put into a document. I'd never shaken a Negro's hand before. His grip felt like any other. So that was a bit of William's discovering. Yeah, I agree. Like character development. And how do you think that Joseph was able to get a brand new Victrola on sale? I found it really smart on how he did it. Like, whoa. I, uh, to be honest, I didn't understand what, what he did. <laughs> but it was smart. <laughs> I think he just like oh you know I know like the the factory price the wholesale I know why you're selling me that why you're selling me the old model because you're trying to get rid of it yeah and you know that later Mm -hmm. on you're not going to sell other products so you should sell me for cheap yeah 
Um, this there was a little bit of foreshadowing before this too. Like William talked about, there would be a guy who outsmarted my father, and it seemed like something bad was going to happen. Foreshadowing. Whoa. It's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> creepy. <laughs> creepy. <laughs> uh, also, this is really interesting. Another question on this document. How did such a great and wealthy part of town turn into a low-income area? Um, so, as you can see, like, the area, it's, like, in the same, the area that, like, Rowan is working in is the same area as where Greenwood was. I find it pretty sad to see how, like, the area was so great, and now it's so bad. And it was because of the, the Tulsa race riot, due to the Tulsa riot, or massacre. Because mm-hmm. after, like, such, like, a traumatic and such a big thing that happened, it's just, I don't think you could ever recover from that. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, you could go. <laughs> oh, well, would you like to continue anything? Um, uh, since you're already in the middle of this. Uh, what else? What did I write in there? <laughs> oh. And also, one of the quotes that his mom said was, like, um, Mom says North Tulsa actually has the lowest crime rate in the city. So, I think there, like, people in, like, the richest side of town portray it as, like, a really bad place when it really has, like, the lowest crime rate. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. So, I think it's because of the media perpetration as well. And it also, Rowan also said, I followed the map on, on my phone north past Greenwood, where businesses rebuilt after the riot, but has closed down one by one over the years. And it's, I find this really sad when she set that line, because it was really unfortunate of how that happened. You wonder, what would happen if that race, the the... Tulsa massacre never happened. Yeah, that might also have to do with the reason why it might be a low-income area is due to not only the burning, but, you know, new places were being built, like places where grass used to be, new houses were built. So that could play a part. And that maybe it was just a bit outdated. Yeah, too. it's like how, like, richer people move to, like, the newer, nicer part of town. And they leave, like, the poor behind. And it, yeah. it ends up being, like, forgotten almost. And also with, like, the state, like, the mayors and stuff, they don't really get that much funding as well. Because of it. Mm-hmm. So, how do you guys think that what we talked about relates 
to our world today. Yeah, and that can also relate to the uh, the low-income part of town where people make it seem like it's worse than it actually is. So, like that yeah, propaganda is also happening in today's world. Do you guys think that the Black Lives Matter movement is benefiting how people might be getting rid of their implicit bias like how do you how effective do you think um so i think in social media the black lives matter movement i think it's raising more awareness to the people who have who don't really know about it and it makes them like realize it even more and realizes their implicit bias although like the media portrays it pretty badly you gotta know what's right and what's wrong what's fake, and what's true. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion on the chapters 12 to 24 of Dreamland Burning. Bye.